Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezra chapter 9 today. We are going to wrap up the series that we have been in called Moments. I have uh, just kind of thoroughly enjoyed both personally and then corporately kind of walking through over the last, I don't know, what, four or five weeks we've unpacked really just two verses and, and sprung out of there in Ezra chapter 9. There a prayer that Ezra prayed. The first week we talked about the divine moment that we find ourselves in. The second week, we went back and looked at a prophecy, and we'll, we'll see this actually again today from a guy named Haggai. It's a different book in the Old Testament. We looked at his prophecy and saw how we can make the most of the moment that we're in. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how God is at work in both our past that shapes us in the future, that focuses us to help us to make the most of our moment. Last week, we talked about the light and life that we saw in that passage of scripture and uh, kind of focused in on how God can help us to find his direction and his victory and his hope. We also talked about the danger of distractions. Do you remember that? We talked about that a little bit last week. And then this week, we're going we're gonna to look at the end of this passage and focus in a little bit. Has anybody ever seen the kind of classic masterpiece Monsters Incorporated. You ever seen that movie? Do you know what I'm talking about? I love it. It's just, just a fun movie. The whole premise, if you've not seen it, which, number one, you should. Number two is the whole idea is based around the idea that so many times little kids have this thought in their mind that there might be something hiding under their bed. And we, we go through this. I remember being this way as a kid. I remember walking this through with our kids where you go to tuck them in at night and you get them all ready to go. And then they say this. What if there's a monster in my closet? What if there's something under my bed? And unless you're exasperated in the moment, it's actually kind of cute. <laughs> the truth is, though, for a lot of us, not like children, but as adults, we still live with all those what ifs, where we worry about something that maybe we can't see, maybe even something we can see, and it paralyzes us, or it causes us to be stopped because we say so much, well, what if this happens, or what if that happens? I'm not, I'm not talking so much today about wisdom. Wis wisdom is different. Wisdom um, gives us, and we'll look at this here in just a moment, good framework for the decisions that we make. I'm talking about the what ifs, the times when we stop See, there's, there's moments that we face. That's, that's been the whole kind of point of this series. There's these windows in time where God is something do, doing something unique and something special in our lives. And sometimes if we get stuck in the what ifs, it will stop us from those moments, moments that we face in our families or on our jobs. Some of you in your schooling, we're, we're in a season of graduations. This is kind of college graduation weekend around here. You're going to see high school graduations coming up in the next couple of weeks. Even as a church, there's these moments that God gives to us with his grace and with his favor, but we can be paralyzed in those moments if we give too much attention to the what ifs that come our way. Because for some of you, we've gone through this series and, and I've had people stop me. They'll be like, ah, oh, this has been a good series. It's been an encouraging series. This, is, this has helped me to take some steps in my faith. And for others of you, you might go, hey, this has been inspiring, but <laughs> I mean, I know God might have a moment for me, for my family, this situation, but what if I mess it up? Or what if I don't have what it takes to do this? Or what if the reality is it's just too late for me? Or what if I'm facing opposition and let's just be honest, what if I'm scared? We can face these what ifs in our lives. What do we do when we come to those moments? 
Ezra unpacks this for us in the passage that we're looking at. Ezra chapter 9, look at verses 8 and 9. Let's, let's read where we've been. It says, but now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. That's what we talked about the past and about the future. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. That's where we were last week when we talked about light and life. Now, verse 9, this is where we'll be today. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah in Jerusalem. We're going to focus on verse 9 today because I think that what Ezra tells us about God in that verse will help the what-ifs that we face to disappear. That's why he prayed this prayer. He wanted them to see that there's a God in your moment who is bigger than the what-ifs that you face. This is good for us to know, and here's why. Because your moment will never come at the perfect time or under the perfect circumstances. Have you noticed that? Like God may send a moment your way, an opportunity your way, and, it, and you're always just like, well, that, this isn't the right time. God, thanks. Can I get six more months? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, God, you could sure use me if you would change this. Or God, I sure could be effective if it wasn't for that. Look, your moment's never going to come at what you think is the perfect time or under the perfect circumstances. You will always have the opportunity when God sends a moment to say, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens. What do you do with the what ifs of your moment? That's what we're going to look at today. What to do with the what ifs of your moment. I think verse nine kind of stirs up four of these for us. Here's the first one. What if number one, you ready for this one? What if I mess up? <laughs> if God sends a moment my way, what if I mess it up? We actually, I think, ask this whether consciously or subconsciously. We ask this a lot where we say to ourselves, what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not qualified? What if I don't have the skills? What if I'm not the right kind of person? What if, and sometimes people will say this, I'm not so sure that God can use me. What do you do in those moments where you say, what if I mess up? Ezra highlights this right at the very beginning of verse nine, his very first words, though we are slaves. He just says, look, we're, we're still not free the way we'd like to be. Although they had been in Babylon under the oppression of the Persian Empire, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. You guys remember this story, right? They were allowed to go back to Jerusalem where they were rebuilding the temple. But even though they were there and back in their homeland, they were still surrounded by enemy peoples that were all around them. And they were under the oppression and the rule of the Persian Empire. So they couldn't do whatever they wanted to do. That's why he starts out by saying, Though we are slaves, though there are limits on us, though there are things that we can't do. And so many times we find ourselves in that same spot where we look at something and we say, well, I'd do that, but, but what if I mess it up because I'm only a this or I don't really have that? Look, I want you to see that your value is not determined by your situation. When God looks at you, when God allows you to step into this moment of time that you're in right now, your value is not determined by your situation. That's not what determines whether God can use you or not. He says, though we are slaves, and yet he continues to talk about what God wants to do. This is all throughout scripture. The truth is, I, I think this is something that we do an awful lot. We judge ourselves, and we even judge others by the situation that they're in. 
we look at them and go, well, well, look at how they look, or look at what they do, or look at what they live, or look at how they failed, and we judge them based on those things. The Bible tells us that your value to God and in this moment is not determined by your situation. Do you remember Romans chapter 5, verse 8, kind of this classic passage of scripture? It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Once we got our act together, Christ died for us. Is that what it says? Not at all. See, his value of you was not determined by your situation. He looked at you and he said, while you were still a sinner, while you were still a mess, Jesus died for you. That's how, that's how this story works. This is good for us to know. We use the word potential a lot, don't we? I want to maximize my potential. I want my kids to reach their full potential. I don't want to waste potential. But God's the one who sees potential. He's the one who designates it. He designs it. He knows what your potential is, even when you sell yourself short. And in those moments when you say, well, these are the limits on my life, remember what Ezra said. Because Ezra said, though we are slaves, we are not forsaken. Our God has not forsaken us. Even in the midst of this mess I'm in, God is right there. God's presence is not affected by your predicament. His presence is right there with you, even in the midst of this situation. In fact, watch what he's doing. His presence is there in your predicament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul is speaking about how God had spoken to him. And he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Look at that. My power is made perfect in weakness. Anybody glad for that? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And some of you, the reason why when, when a moment comes, you, you say, yeah, but what if I mess it up? Is because you've had a lot of people tell you that you mess things up. Maybe you've heard it from the time you were little. Maybe you heard it yesterday. But it gets in your head. Maybe you even look at your track record and you just go, ah, I just seem to mess things up. Look, your moment is not to be determined by what anyone other than God says or thinks about you. For some of you, you need to hear that. That needs to be freeing and liberating for you. Ezra says, though we are slaves, God has not forsaken us. See, your moment is not to be determined by what anyone other than God says or thinks about you. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I love what he says here. Of whom I am the worst. There's a title. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Thomas Watson was the CEO of IBM back in the day. And when he was, he had an employee that made a mistake, not a little mistake, I don't know what it would translate into today's dollars, but back when this story happened, the employee made a, watch this, $600,000 mistake. Cost the company $600,000. And there's a quote from Watson that says this, recently I was asked if I was going to fire an employee who made a mistake that cost the company $600,000. No, I replied, 
I just spent $600,000 training them. It's a good perspective, isn't it? Why would I want somebody to hire his experience? Even in the midst of what you think is a mess, even in the fear that you might have, what if, what if I mess this up? God has not forsaken you. God is right there in the midst of this. The God of your moment has not forsaken you in the mess of your moment. And that's really good for some of us to hear because that's a what if that can stop us. Let me give you a second what if that's in this passage though. The, the, the two kind of go hand in hand because it's not that, that we don't believe that we're good enough. Other times we start to think that what, what if we can't get everything else right? What if number two, what if I don't have what it takes? Not just that I'm going to mess it up, but let's, let's go even more basic. What, what if I don't have the resource? What if I don't have the ability? What if I don't have the, the raw material? What if I don't have the money or the strength or the people network or, or the resource to be able to make the most of this moment? There's a line in that verse we've been looking at in Ezra chapter 9 that says, that God has given us favor, that God has, the language is God has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia, which doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we might not know what that history looks like. So what I want to do for the next couple of moments, and, and please track with me here because this, this is really important. This is really important. We're going to take a history lesson through the book of Ezra. The principle that I want you to see here, I don't want you to leave without this today, but whenever you do a history lesson, this gets like to, to the glaze over point. Some of you are already there, I can tell, but you get to that like where your eyes start to glaze over. And it's tricky because with history, you start naming the name of this king and the name of this bad guy and the name of all these different things. And we're not familiar with these names, so they all start to run together. So if it's okay, I wanna, I wanna give us a little bit of a visual here to kind of help us walk through this a little bit. This might be kind of the old children's pastor coming out in me a little bit. I, I want you to see the history and the story of the book of Ezra and how it fits for us in this. We're gonna look at like four or five really important names here. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Ezra chapter one, verse one says this. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that's important, remember his name, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, remember that too, there's gonna to be a test. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. Remember that, he put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. So the first king that we're gonna talk about here today is a guy named Cyrus. So we'll put this good king out here right there. Is everybody with me? And this is Cyrus. Can you say Cyrus? Okay, so this is Cyrus. He's a good king because here's what happened. Remember, the Jewish people were ran out of Jerusalem. They ended up in Babylon. The kingdom of Babylon is overthrown by the Persians. And the Persians then will release them to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. The good king that did that was this king whose name was Black Pan uh, Cyrus. <laughs> and it said that through Cyrus, God fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. Do you know what that prophecy was? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a... So you remember this. That prophecy goes all the way back to the book of Jeremiah, and God fulfilled it 
by allowing the good king whose name was? Nice, yeah, good king Cyrus to send the Jews back to Jerusalem. But what happened was the Jews came back, they started to rebuild, and the neighbors around them did not like that. Because if the Jewish people were able to rebuild, they were able to be strong. And if they could be strong, then they were a threat. There was opposition. And King Cyrus is no longer on the stage. The Bible tells us that at this point, there's a king whose name is Artaxerxes. Can you say Artaxerxes? Oh, impressive. <laughs> that was good. I didn't know if you'd get that one. And so this king, and he, he kind of represents not just King Artaxerxes, and there's some challenges in history as to what the actual name was of that king back and forth. We're going to go with what Ezra tells us here, King Artaxerxes. In that moment, the opposition comes to King Artaxerxes and says, these Jewish people should not be allowed to rebuild. And so here's what happens. Ezra chapter 4, verse 21, Artaxerxes says, now issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. That's a setback, isn't it? They were moving forward, and now they've got opposition. And the opposition stops them. So much so, look at this. Ezra chapter 4, verse 24. Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. But if you remember from the book of Haggai, they had started building... They had a setback. There was opposition. They stopped. But then Haggai brings this prophecy that says to them, it might not make sense. You might not have permission, but you should start rebuilding again. And so then God raises somebody up. Look at this. Ezra chapter 5, verse 2. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, son of Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. See, God raised up one from among them to lead them to rebuild the temple. About Captain America right there. Can he get a round of applause? I'm telling you. So, right? So, you got, you got this happening, okay? So, you got Zerubbabel, say Zerubbabel, who's rebuilding. They start building again what Artaxerxes told them they shouldn't, even though King, anybody remember? Cyrus had given them permission. So they start rebuilding again. But then there's a guy whose name is Tatnai. Now, we're not 100% sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy. We don't know if he just hated the Jews or we don't know if he was just doing his job. We just know this. He said, whoa, 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 you should not be doing this. You don't have permission to build this. And so he writes to the king at that time and says to the king, these guys should not be building this building because this guy told them to stop. And so he sends a letter, finally, to this guy, who's the last king we'll talk about. This is, everybody, yes, it's Spider-Man. However, for today's purposes, this is King Darius. Can you say Darius? Okay, so you've got Darius. So Tatnai sends a letter to Darius about Captain Zerubbabel and says, and says, these guys probably shouldn't be doing this. So watch this. Darius says, why don't we go back and look in the archives of Cyrus and see if they really have permission to do what somebody stopped them from doing? So they go back and look in Cyrus's archive. Do you remember what Cyrus did with his order? He wrote it down. And they pulled it out and they read it. And it said that Captain Zerubbabel has permission to do what he's doing, watch this. Ezra chapter six, verse six. Now then, this is, Darius is writing this. Now then, Tatanai, governor of trans-Euphrates, and this other guy, and you other officials of that province. <laughs> Sorry. Stay away from there. Do not interfere 
with the work on this temple of God. Let the governor, that's your man here in the middle, of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. But wait, it gets better. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of the house of God, their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Did you see what happened? Darius not only tells them that they can rebuild, he tells Tatnai to pay for it. Like, that's awesome. That where they were stopped, God not only allows them to start again, but he gives them resource that they did not have before. This is incredible that this guy told him to do something, this guy told him to stop, but they decided to do it anyways, and this guy said don't do it, but this guy said that that guy said they could, so he told this guy that that guy had to pay for this guy to do what God had told him to do. That's awesome. Right? If you see what God did here. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss about this. I'm out of breath. When this guy, when this guy told him to stop, they said, man, what a, what a setback. And God said, that's no setback. It's a setup. Because when he told you to stop, I set that up so this guy would pay for you to do what I wanted you to do in the first place. What you see as a setback, God may see as a setup. Don't miss this. You say, what if I don't have what it takes? God says, then watch me work to give you what you need. Because I will work this out for you and in your life. Can I put my toys away real quick? Okay, so don't miss this. Because you may be in a place right now where all you see is your lack, where all you see is what you don't have, where all you see is what's going wrong. And this story is a great reminder that in the midst of your setback, God may be using that to be a set up. And here's what they did. Don't miss this. They did not have permission to build that from anybody but God. And they didn't have the resource to do it. And you know what they did? When God told them to do it, they did it anyways, because they realized that there are times in your life where you just do what God told you to do, and you trust him to provide and lead you along the way. I grew up in a great church, Warren First Assembly of God, Warren, Ohio. Pastor, when I was a kid, was a guy named Ollie Dalaba. Pastor Dalaba had a saying, and he would say it over and over again. And I remember when we were building a sanctuary when I was just a kid, I can remember going there with my dad and my dad helping to work on some of the things that were happening as they were doing the building. Built this big building that actually ended up impacting our community in a very powerful way. And if you were to go back to Warren First Assembly on Parkman Road in Warren, Ohio, you would walk up and there's a dedicatory stone on the front of the building. And it has this saying that Pastor Dalba used to say all the time, we did our best and God did the rest. We did what we could. We did what God asked us to do. And then we trusted God to do what only he could do. So remember this. The next time you say, well, what if I don't have what it takes? God just asks you to do your best. And then he does the rest. When you're in the middle of that setback, it might actually be a setup. Which means it's a good time for us to, to probably talk a little bit about where we're at even as we look at the future of our church. One of the things that's that's significant when you look to the future, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Three things to consider when you think about the future. You think about vision, you think about wisdom, and you think about the leading of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this. One of the things that's in our vision as a church is we want the church to continue to grow. 
We want the church to grow wide. We want to be able to reach more people because there are a lot of people in our community who do not know about Jesus that should. Can I get an amen? amen. But we also want the church to grow deep. Like, I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to know Jesus better, to, to experience him in your everyday life. Here's why. Because if the church grows wide, but it doesn't grow deep, there's no foundation for that growth. Does that make sense? So that's why we do the things that we do. The expansion that's happening down on the other end, we're, we're about a month away from finishing up that project, and God has blessed us. We, we need about another 10% of the, the there was about a 10% overrun on the cost from what we had, and so we're praying, asking God to continue to provide that for us in this process. Um, we're continuing to love the 419 and see what we can do to impact our community through serving others. Praying about what God might have in store for us to do new things in Northwest Ohio. Are there, are there future church plants he wants to be a part of? Is there, is there things he wants to do through us to maybe even start other elements of Calvary in other places throughout our community? And one of the things that you know in particular at this service is that a lot of Sundays we're, we're full in here and we're out of room. And so we're beginning to pray about how would God lead us maybe to build an, an expanded auditorium so that we would be able to reach even more people with the favor that he's entrusted to us. It's about the project that we've looked at would take about two years to build from the time you start the design to the time you're able to enter. Probably about a $7 million project as we look at this, which for me anyways is in pocket change, right? <laughs> so if you're not laughing, come see me afterwards. That, that would that'd be awesome. So what do you do with the future? Well, you start with vision, but then vision has to come with wisdom, right? Jesus says, you got to count the cost. You got you to consider, do I, do I have the calling to do this? Do I have the resource to do this? Am I connected with the people that God wants to use to do this? And you have to think about that with wisdom. A couple things for us as a church. One is we know we continue to own our, our former property on Glendale. We're praying about God um, allowing that property to be sold so that we can be blessed with those proceeds to think about the future. But also, we're praying that that will continue to be a place that blesses God's kingdom. So if you drive by 5025 Glendale, or if you think about it, will you join me in praying for God's future plan for that building? We've had a couple of things that we thought were going to happen over the last five years, and they fell apart. I thought they were a setback. Sometimes what you think is a setback, God's actually using as a? All right, you're awake. The other thing that I'm going to ask you to do, because of where we're at, and because of the financial resource, is that you would consider giving. Now, this isn't like a heavy money plea. The Bible says that a part of our spiritual relationship with God is what we do with our finances. It begins with the tithe. The very first thing that we're to do is to give back to God 10% of what we have, what he's given to us, that we entrust that 10% back to him. That's an Old Testament principle. It's a New Testament principle. That's, that's a part of our worship. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I think you, you read there how Paul tells us that we're to pray and say, God, what would you have me to do with the resource that you have? Two things that we would ask you to pray about is that you would pray about how God might have you to give to missions. What you've given to missions is what Pastor Keith was just up here talking about in the life change they saw in Puerto Rico, right? That makes sense? When you give, that makes a difference. I would also encourage you that as you pray about what God would have for you to do, to consider giving to, if you're, if you're giving online or if you're filling out an offering envelope, you'll see a line there that says, by faith. By faith is the fund that we use to fund future vision. It's how we give to the future. 
The renovations that are happening down there, that's, that's because of by faith dollars. The things that happen in this building, it's because of the gifts that were given by people to by faith to be able to allow us to be in the place that we're at. And I would just encourage you to pray and ask God how he would have you to give to be a part of that to see what God has for us. Because here's what happens when you do this. When you move forward with vision, but you also have wisdom, at the very core of that is saying, God, I want to be led by your Holy Spirit. And then he leads you. And if you have a plan that's different from his, then you're in a place where he can shape and change that. And if you say with wisdom that you're, you're looking for him to provide, I can tell you this, whether it was the time that we paid off our indebtedness down on Glendale or whether it was this current project, we reached these moments where we said, we know that we have to do our best. We'll do what we can. And then God, we entrust this to you. And every time he shows up in a way that, to be quite honest, just blows my mind over and above what I could have asked or imagined. Because when you do your best, God will do the rest. He steps in and he provides. We've been, we've been as leaders talking and praying about this quite a bit as we've been looking at God. What's, what's your future for us as a church? Recently, I had the chance to sit down with several people from Calvary and just kind of talk about their thoughts about what God might have in the future for us and what it means to, to kind of trust him with that. We wanted to share a little bit of that with you today. So if you would, please turn your attention to the screens. When we look ahead as a church, when you think about Calvary's future, what opportunities do you think are ahead for us? Like as we trust God, um, as we look to the future, talk about maybe why it's important for a church to be thinking about the future. We're called to be the light, right? The light of the world, the light of our city. And so I just look at it as, I mean, Calvary is that. If we were to just like sit back and go, okay, we're cool, we're not gonna do anything anymore. We're not gonna shine as bright. We're not gonna continue to be that bright light. Um, if you're not climbing and doing better, you're gonna reach that peak and pretty soon you're on the downslide. So we've always gotta be looking for ways to continue to improve, to be able to spread the word and get it out there and stay up with technology. If you look at Jesus, he was a, he was a pioneer in the way that he ministered to people. Um, he broke down gender barriers and cultural barriers, and it's important for us to do the same pioneering work that Jesus did. We're called to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. That's what we're called to do. We can't be satisfied with being in one place. We have to be ready to do whatever God has for us next. And I think as soon as we get comfortable, we get complacent. And when we get complacent, we become ineffective. And if we're called to, you know, to minister to the world, we can never allow ourselves to be there because it, it stunts our growth. If the church is irrelevant because of a refusal to, um, to continue to move forward, that's not a good reflection on who God is. Well, I think people just, you want to be a part of something exciting too. If we're moving the church forward, we're doing, we're, we're doing new things, we're pushing ourselves outside of maybe our comfort zones, and I think that's ultimately kind of what people want to be involved in in the first place anyway. You know, nobody really wants to go and be like, it's just okay. You want something that challenges you a little bit, you know, it's like, because that's what makes life kind of exciting. Also makes it difficult, but, but ultimately it makes it kind of worth it. And everybody's afraid of change. And, and so it's kind of like, well, if there's change, you know, what, what happens if we fail? But I think that's when we learn the most is when you fail because you learn from those mistakes where a lot of people, they don't want that and they don't want to take that leap of faith in whatever it may be. I think we need to live outside of our comfort zone because that's really the only place that you have to rely on God, right? 
If I'm in my comfort zone, I can very easily rely on myself, very easily. But I'm uncomfortable, so he's got me, so I gotta be good with this, you know? <laughs> like, I don't, like, I can't rely on myself, so. God is the one that's going to direct the growth from that. So the more that we, we continue to see the life change happen, and, and he's doing that, we have nothing really to do with it other than open the doors up and say, come and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I think the more we do that, I think that's, that's the, the future is unlimited. As Christians, what we end up believing is that things that have value are the things that last forever, right? And if we really believe that people are eternal, then just that one person is where all the value is. It's not that we impacted a thousand people ineffectively, it's that we found just one person that we could impact for eternity. Like, because that, that has more value, it lasts forever. So that when we were sitting there having these conversations, and you just heard Sharon say it, she, she said, you remember when she said, um, when we get comfortable, we get complacent, and we get complacent, we get ineffective. And I went, ouch. You ever been there? You know what often keeps me ineffective? The what ifs. Because I look at a situation and I go, well, well, what if? What if I mess this up? What if I don't have what it takes? Let me briefly give you a third one that I think is really huge for a lot of us. It's crippling to a lot of us. What if, number three, what if it's too late? What if, what if I just look at this moment? What if I look at my life? What if I look at what's going on and I go, what, what if it's too late? What if I'm too old? Or what if things are too far gone? Or what if I've already ruined too many relationships? Or what if I can't be fixed? Or here's, here's the one I hear from people sometimes. What if I'm damaged goods? What if it's too late for me to do something? What if what, if what happened in the past or the mess I'm in right now will keep me from receiving what God wants to do in this moment. I mean, think of the situation that the Jewish people found themselves in. Their city, Jerusalem, decimated, right? Their wall's gone, their temple's gone. It would be easy for them to walk in and just go, ah, what's the use? You ever been there? Where you look at a situation and go, what's it matter? What's the use? It's probably too late. And yet, if you go back to Ezra 9.9, Ezra uses this powerful line. He says, God has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. That word, he's given us new life, is a powerful thing. Now, let's just deal with reality for a moment. Reality is you cannot rewind and relive the moments of your past. You can't do it. You can't go back and change it. If you remember last week, we talked about like, a, like if you're listening to a podcast, how you can just hit the button, and if you miss something, you go back and listen to it again. This was the distraction part. So if you're listening to a podcast or you've got music on or you're watching a movie, you can hit rewind and you can go back and you can see that. Look, you cannot rewind and relive the moments of your past. It's, it's just not possible. Those moments, not, not to be a downer, but, but there's things in your past that you just got to go, look, that happened. Happened to me. I did that. It's done. It's gone. But look, this is why God says through Ezra to you and me that he has granted us new life because that happened, but that doesn't mean that it's over. That word new life has the idea of revive, to bring something back to life. And look, God can revive you to rebuild, repair, and restore what was lost. God can come alongside of you. He can give you that life. I don't know that it's going to look just like what you thought it should look like. Look, there may be things in your life that you've lost 
You're not going to get them back in just the same way, but God can restore you. He can repair your heart. He can rebuild something in your life, in your family, on your job, in your marriage, with your character, with your credit, in your relationships, because what appears to be ruined today may be restored tomorrow. Look, the temple wasn't built overnight. It was destroyed when it was glorious. It took them a while to get back to that place, but God promised them that he would, and ultimately, he did. And know this, what looks ruined to one generation may be rebuilt by the next. I want you to think about that for a moment. There's a generation of the Jewish people who rebelled against God. That's why they lost everything. And it was up to the next generation to come in and rebuild that. And I guess when I use that word generation, when I think about this generation, gener- <laughs> hallelujah, when I think about this, <laughs> get that out, generationally, talking about you and your family. Like I've known people that have said to me, ah, man, my grandpa was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. I guess I'm just going to be an alcoholic. And it doesn't have to be that way. What was ruined in one generation, God says, can be restored in the next. He can rebuild and repair. He can revive you to do that. I had this cool conversation with a lady not too long ago, and she said to me, my husband and I both come from homes that were very dysfunctional and broken, and we have decided with God's help not in our house. It's going to be different from our kids. It's going to be different for our generation. Because what may have been destroyed in one can be restored and renewed in another. You just have to be willing to say, I'm going to get past the what if of what if it's too late. There's a guy in the news lately. His name is is Dylan McWilliams. You may have seen something about him. Back in 2015, he was out hiking in the desert, and he kicked something, thought it was a stick. He looked down, it was a rattlesnake, and the snake bit him. And it was, a, it was what they call a dry bite, so he didn't get any of the, of the venom in that moment. He was sick for a couple of days, but he was okay. Didn't even go to the hospital, which causes me to wonder. But anyways, that was 2015. Last fall, 2017, he was camping. While he was camping, he lives out in Colorado, he was camping. All of a sudden, he said, I heard a crunch, and then I realized what was going on. A bear had come got in his tent, he's sleeping outside, I don't know, whatever, but a bear had come, grabbed him by the head, and pulled him out of his sleeping bag, and was carrying him off, I guess for an adventure, I'm not sure, right? (laughs) But he wakes up to this, he's being dragged, you know, on the ground by his head by this bear, so he starts poking the bear in the eyes and stuff, and doing this, and uh, um, screaming, and his friends come, scare the bear off, he has to go get all these stitches and this kind of thing. He's been bit by a snake, now he's been bit by a bear, you ready? Earlier this year, he went surfing in Hawaii. No joke. He felt something, looked down. There was a tiger shark that bit him on the leg. This dude has been bit by a snake, by a bear, and by a shark. Don't go on vacation with him. Or maybe you should. He's like animal repellent, right? They they go to him. It's this crazy thing. Listen to this. This guy said he's one of the unluckiest guys on the planet. Here's why. Since each event is independent, the odds of each are multiplied together, making the odds of these three things all happening to the same person. You ready for this? 893 quadrillion to one. (laughs) 
I said this to somebody after the last service, or somebody came up to me after the last service, and they said, I don't think he's the unluckiest. I think he's the luckiest guy. <laughs> you lived through all those things? You're not too bad? So the interview I saw, the guy says, Dylan, so do you just not leave your house anymore? Do you just stay inside? He says, no. He says, I'm going to get out there and live. This is awesome. There's adventure out there for me. That's a spirit that I hope I have. That instead of saying, what if it's too late? He's probably thinking, what's left to bite me? I've got this right. I can go do anything now. Look, grab hold of this. Don't let your what ifs paralyze you. What ifs to deal with? What if I mess this up? What if I don't have what it takes? What if it's too late? Let me just tell you this. The God of your moment is greater than the loss of your past. He can step into this, which leads me to the last one and probably the most basic of them all. What if, number four, what if I'm scared? Anybody? I can think two of the, two of the kind of greatest days of my life. The day I got married, the day I became a father. Joy, excitement, confidence. I knew these were the right things, and I was scared to death. Like, even in the best of times, when uncertainty comes, it gets you in those moments. The truth is, I've been scared going to the doctor's office. I've been scared standing on this platform. You should see the way some of you look at me. I've been scared standing on this platform. <laughs> I was scared when my dad died. Like, there's a lot of times when things come and you just go, I, I don't know. The key is we cannot allow the presence of fear to keep us from action in the moment we are in. God says, Zerubbabel, you build that temple. And the people said, Zerubbabel, we don't have permission from that big evil king. And he said, guess what? We're going to do it anyways. Because God told us to. Even if you're scared, you seize your moment anyway. You seize that moment anyway. You grab hold of that. Because here's what Ezra said. He said, our God has given us, this is the language, a wall of protection. For the record, he's not talking there about the wall that goes around the city of Jerusalem for a couple of reasons. One, that wall hadn't been rebuilt yet. That's not until you get to the book of Nehemiah. Two, he uses the wrong word for that kind of a wall. He's not talking about a city wall. What he's talking about here is like a, a lower, almost like we would, we would call a fence of some kinds. It would be the kind of wall that would go around a vineyard or it would be the kind of wall that would close sheep in, that would keep a flock of sheep in the pen. It would be what they would call like the sheepfold. And that wall would not only keep bad things out, but would also keep the sheep in a place where they were safe, where they could be nurtured, where they could be protected. It's not that there wasn't danger out there. It wasn't that there wasn't danger right there around them. It was just they were in a place where they were protected, where they could be cared for. Look, I'm not saying you're not in a dangerous situation. Some of you very clearly, you might be thinking about a meeting that you have tomorrow and you're going, oh, this is risky. You might be thinking about a decision that you're making or the season of life that you're in. I'm not saying that it doesn't come with its own fear and uncertainty and danger. I'm just saying this, that you have a wall of protection from God around you so that you can be right in the place where he can nurture you and protect you, even in the midst of the danger. God is working out something divine, even in the midst of something dangerous. That's why I think a beautiful analogy for who Jesus is, is that he's the good shepherd because he's right there with you. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So know this, the God of your moment is with you in this moment. In spite of your what ifs, 
See, your moment will never come at the perfect time or under the perfect circumstances, but you have a perfect God. Isn't that true? So what if we thought about our what ifs a little differently? What if in allowing, instead of allowing our what ifs to be all about our fear, what if our what ifs could be all about our faith? What if instead of our what ifs being about our concerns, what if they could be about our confidence? What if instead of those being our doubt, what if we could make those what ifs our trust? What if we flipped the script on this thing a little bit? That every time I say, what if I mess up, instead I said, what if God shows up? What if instead of saying, what if I don't have what it takes? What if I say, what if God's using this as a setup in the midst of this setback? When I say, what if it's too late? What if instead I say, what if God's doing this just in time? In those moments when I say, what if I'm scared? Instead, what if I said, what if God is doing something wonderful in the midst of this? And I know I can trust him to nurture me and protect me right in the middle of the place where I am. What if we changed our language about the what ifs? What if instead of it being filling us with fear, we allowed it to fill us with trust? What if we asked God to do something big in our lives? When was the last time you asked God to do something big in your lives? What if we would shift this in this moment, in this window of time, and allow our what ifs to be something that causes us to trust him more than ever? Now that's something to think about. Let me ask you one simple question. What do you ask God for? What do you ask of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the maker of everyone and everything, the one who sits on the throne? What do you ask of his majesty? See, now, if you're like me, we often ask God of the little things, like, God, help me on a test, help me do my best kind of thing. But you know, the big problems, yeah, the ones that really sting, I can deal with those on my own. I don't need to bring those to the king. Wait, if we serve a God that is capable of immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine, why don't we ask him to do things that we can't yet fathom? Because see, our God tells a mountain to move, and it leaps. He opens the eyes of the blind to see and creates a universe rotating in perfect harmony, so why don't we ask him to do it again? Because it's not that our God stopped performing miracles, it's that we stopped asking of him. But why is this? Is that we're afraid of what it could cost us? Because no price compares to the cost he already paid for us. Or is that we're afraid of how others will perceive us? How they'll laugh at us and mock us, but don't you know that our God cast down the stones from the accuser's hand with just a few words written in the sand? So why are we still afraid to ask God to do it again? Why are we afraid to dream? Why are we afraid to ask the God of miracles for the big things? Because see, what's impossible in our eyes becomes simple in his presence. So when we have the faith and audacity to ask God has the ability to make it reality after all, he is the same God that brought strength to the legs of a lame man. So why don't we ask him to bring strength to the legs of our lame faith? Because see, we know that faith without action, yes, is useless, but maybe it's less about what we do and more about what we allow the creator of all things to do through us, because see, the power that conquered the grave lives inside of us. So it's time to stop just sitting around to discuss this power, never put it to use. It's time to stop just dreaming about the, stop, it's time to stop just dreaming about the difference God can make. It's time to allow him to move. So why don't we ask him to do it again? To walk on water again, to heal the lepers again, to bring sight to the eyes of a beggar and perform miracles even greater. Once again, I'll ask you this simple question. What do you ask God for?
would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And over the course of these last few weeks, we've, we've talked about the moments that God might have you in. But that simple question puts it all in perspective. In the moment that you're in, what have you asked God for? It may be that you're, you're wrestling with all the what ifs. Of what if I mess it up? Or what if I don't have what it takes? Or what if it's too late? Or what if I'm scared? Where instead what we should be saying is, what if God does something miraculous in this situation? That we change our what ifs from doubt to faith. That we trust a God who has done miracles in the past and miracles in our lives to do it again. What if we trusted him? Just very simply, as, as we wrap up this service, I, I want to have an opportunity to pray with those of you who would say, I need to turn my what ifs from doubt to faith. I need to, I need to shift my what ifs from what's holding me back to what can, can move me forward in this moment. I need to stop seeing certain things as a setback when God wants them to be a setup. I need to trust him to provide he can make something wonderful even out of what I see as a mess. And if you'd say today, I, I need to shift my what ifs from doubt to faith, from fear to trust, from hopeless to hope. God, I need to trust you even in the midst of the what is ifs of my life. If that's you, would you just stand right where you are? I, I want to pray with you today, whether you're in this room Maybe you're in the chapel and generation service. You might be in auditorium too. You might be watching on a screen somewhere. Would you just stand right where you are? And you say, God, today I need to shift my what ifs. I need to turn my concern into confidence. I need to trust you in a way like never before. God, we thank you for your word. God, your word that speaks to us. God, your word that encourages us. Lord, your word that reminds us that even in the what ifs of our lives, you are a God who is there and who is present and who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And so today, God, we ask you for that. We trust you for that. We take those places where, where we have concern and we give them to you in confidence. We take these places where maybe there's been fear and instead we put our trust in you. God, we look to you today. Thank you for this reminder that you are the God of this moment. And in this moment, you are working out great things in our lives. Lord, you know what's in each one of our hearts, the lives of those that are standing, those of us that, that may be in our seats but are wrestling right now. God, we ask you to do something that goes beyond what, what maybe in our, in, our, in our simpleness we can conceive, but what you can see, how you're working something out in our lives. Lord, we trust you with this today. We change our what ifs and we look to you. And so now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, we ask that you'd send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.